What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges, and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got BJ Larson. Being able to work with your teammates, there's so much work that goes into it that when you're actually finally there for that hour or two, it makes it all worth it. And the time put in goes away. And all you think about is the reward at that moment. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Okay, so um, let's talk about... um, these these principles of continuous improvement and, and actually putting them to work. Um, I know that you ran a project over at Thermo Fisher, and I mean they're obviously a you know sixty billion dollar company, fifty thousand staff. You know they're they're a, a serious world leader, serious world leader in uh, in the medical space and all this um, different scientific uh, output that they've got, laboratory equipment, markets, stuff like this. So um, tell us about. Tell us what the goal of the project was that you were going over there to work on. Yeah, so the goal was to um, have a reduction of non-compliance units or, you know, the product wasn't up to standard of the customer um, to our customer who was located in England. And so what we were able to do, we were able to institute a project, work with our end customer in England, you know, talking with them, conference calls, to figure out how we could get the, the value stream mapping to the point where we figure out where the problem is taking place and make sure that our customer was happy and they were getting the product how they wanted it when they wanted it. Yeah. So this, and I think you called it redefining and standardizing uh, inspected product. Is that, am I saying that wrong? I think I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So we redefine the standardized inspection criteria, standard operating procedures of the product used for pharmaceutical purpose purposes at both locations and i was actually the genius behind um one of the ideas that really <laughs> helped helped it i guess you could say we made a small change uh the sop and how it was being done and you know that that small change had, had you know the ripple effect was obviously to the point where we had 80 percent a reduction in um the the product the overproduction was down the it was 80 percent um reduction in non-compliance parts so it was, it yeah, was an so awesome let, project let, let's talk about that for a second before we go into how you did it with the team and everyone that, that worked on this um let's talk about what what are the business implications in sending uh non-compliant you know 
again, we always need all this business jargon, right? But right. non-compliant product, right? So basically stuff that's either wrong or broken or this kind of stuff, like what, what qualified as non-compliant product? Yeah. So, I mean, they're in the biochemical aspect of business. So that's obviously an industry that needs to be regulated very carefully and products need to be taken care of because of the sensitive items that are being involved with that industry. You know, one, one bad product can result a lot of, I mean, down to people's health, down to um, being business allegations. So it's very important that products are up to standard. And so we wanted to make sure that we were sending out the right product and was getting there um, how the customer wanted it. So not only would we keep that customer satisfaction, but you know the end user was getting a product that would not only help them, but you know be health beneficial and be able to help them to avoid any mishaps that can happen with biotechnology yeah. um, on a small level and a big level. Well, and you talk about, you know, especially a business, you know, publicly traded company, they've got this financial obligation of the shareholders to be profitable, right? So, right. you know, let's talk about things that run, that go against that. Dissatisfying the customer by sending them the wrong product or broken product or anything like that, right? Um, right, right. The cost of overproduction itself, uh, right of producing materials you don't need because you've got to make up for all this non-compliant product. Uh, what and then transportation, right? You got to ship. You got to ship stuff around that didn't need to get shipped because it didn't work in the first place, right? Absolutely. There's you know there's a lot of cost the overhead that goes with doing all of that. It's, that's a side note, and I mean that's that's something to raise the cost as well. So you know it's really coming up with that lean methodology, you know, that continuous improvement project planning implementation and being able to you know have a wide range of positive side effects that add value to all customers in the downstream yeah well um so 80 percent is a pretty pretty significant reduction what and it sounds like that was a actually a fairly quick turnaround how long was that project to get that 80 percent reduction project uh, it was a five-month project um, and so you know, we, we were able to figure out, you know, root, root cause analysis, uh, figure out why the problem is, is happening, come with a plan to fix the problem, and then standardizing the goals to reduce that problem. And obviously the, the hardest part is being able to sustain it. And so making sure that that standard operating procedure is in the works and being followed and daily adherence um, helps us to maintain that reduction in yeah. non-compliance parts. So let's talk about root cause analysis. So, um, you know, there's, for people who aren't as familiar with it, there's, you know, there's probably a lot of people guessing, you know, pretty much probably kind of what it sounds like. Um, talk about, uh, A, what that tool is, and B, the value of being able to look at a problem through that lens, of, of bringing that perspective of we're not just looking for the symptoms, you know, why don't you talk about root cause analysis for a second? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously many different ways that you can do root cause analysis. And one of my favorite ways to do it, I like doing the five whys. Um, to figure out, okay, why why is this happening in this product? And you go to the next step. Okay, it's happening because of this. And once you get down to that five whys, you really can dive into the why, why this is happening. I'm saying why a lot. And um, you're able to figure out the root cause. Um, now, the, the way we take it, we, we use an A3, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's 
kind of a methodology. It's a big paper um, with different sections. It puts the whole project on one piece of paper, simplifies it, and it kind of gives you a, a map and a key as to how you arrived to the solution you're at and everything that went into. Every possible idea, every possible root cause is put onto that, and then everything that is, you know, you trim the fat out of it, you figure out what the real cause is. I mean, it's five months of bouncing around ideas, testing those ideas, implementing them to see the results, and ultimately finding the most successful solution. Yeah. So, so in this case, what, you know, what, what ended up being the route to figuring out where the leverage point was? The route to figuring out where the leverage point was, um, without, you know, I don't want to go into too much. Sure. Um, Trade secrets. Company of, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Company okay. information. I think I said something about, you know, not going into too much detail, but it, it's really figuring out, um, and, and it can be something that's so small that you might even pass over it and you don't notice it. And until you get team members' idea, um, whether it's a frontline member on the actual floor doing the work or someone who comes in fresh, they don't have any idea of how it's been done before, and they figure out, think, oh, why, why don't we do it this way? That's, that's something that helps as well. So it was really a conglomerate of the 30-team member that I was actually the spokesperson of and ultimately presented the continuous improvement project to members of upper management at Thurbo Fisher Scientific too that helped me to arrive at that solution and be able to have the data and the metrics to support the, the justification for the, the five-month project and the positive results we were able to achieve. Sure. Uh, and, and how big of a team were you working with? Uh, we had, we had. I want to say it was thirty members, okay. or uh, yeah, thirty members. Oh no, I twenty-five members on the team, and I presented to about thirty members of upper management people who are on staff at the time at that particular location. Sure, you know, I think one of the things that um, I ha- has been so interesting for me as I've been learning more about what you studied so much is this idea of. Um, how well they can circumvent the natural, like, you know, group dynamics, you naturally end up with somebody who talks a lot or somebody who's maybe more dominant, right? And in so many organizations, that's the guy who signs other people's paychecks or the manager or whatever. And it ends up being like, let's have a group discussion, which really means let's all tell the boss how good his idea was. Right. And (laughs) I think like there's such a distinct pattern um with this methodology of anybody's idea can get tested and depending on what the data from the result says is going to change whose idea we go with not who happens to be here longer who happens to be in charge who happens to be the most vocal like that it's uh instead of paying lip service to let's try an experiment that it's literally like okay and here's how we'll know if it works or not and here's when we're going to measure it and here's like here's what we're going to do depending on if the numbers are above this number or below that number. Um, right. It feels very democratic and kind of like the meritocracy type of feeling. Do you, do you see that? Do you, what's your feelings about that? Absolutely. I believe that everyone has an idea. And like you said, the, the results are kind of what drive which idea will be implemented and followed. But everyone's got an idea from the frontline team member all the way up to the top. And everyone's idea, I believe, um, has merit and should be listened to, should be tried and tested. And 
more often than not, you know, it's not just one idea that works. There's multiple ideas that work and can contribute to the overall goal. And if you didn't have that respect for the individual and the willingness to use all team members to improve the process and ultimately create value for the customer, you would not be able to get the results you have. And honestly, it, it builds respect amongst all team members and they take ownership of the project. And instead of, you know, me implementing this idea, they realize it's their idea. And so being able to standardize it and have it followed from there on out, it's going to be a lot easier. They're going to feel appreciated and be able to come up with more ideas. You know, it's, it's interesting. One of the things you brought up there about um, people getting to bring their idea, you know, um, I remember going to the large meeting for the society for HR management. I can't remember what it's, SHRM. I can't remember what the acronym is. And there was a woman from Oracle talking about employee retention. And there'd been good classes throughout the day and I was meeting some interesting people. But the uh, that class was packed. People were, it was like literally standing room down the, down the sides of the room, across the back, all, every chair was filled. And there is like this desperation in corporate America of employee retention, you know, where you know, we don't have it like our grandpa anymore. Get a good education, get a good job, stay there for your career, right? Right. And um, people are desperate for employee retention, but they're not they're not reconsidering the way that people are managed. And it's it's still there's such a separation between the managers who think and the technicians who do, right? And right. as a result, when anything goes wrong, the managers blame you guys didn't do it right, and the the workers say. Uh, I did exactly what you said. You thought up the wrong way to do it. I could have told you how to do it right, you know? Right, right. And nobody has to take any personal responsibility. And uh-huh. what's funny is, to me, you know, management actually gets to do less work by letting the staff turn their brains on and be allowed to make the suggestion and these kind of things. Like, you get better results for doing less work by not being the guy who's the only one who's allowed to have good ideas, you know? Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. And I, I like to think of it as a form of delegation. And if, if they take ownership of it, performance is going to increase. Um, team unity will increase. All the intangibles of, you know, having a good time at work, not, you know, being happy at work, enjoying what you do, being able to see results that, you know, your personal idea um, help to drive is something that, makes you feel appreciated and you are happy to come to work well and it's not just a touchy-feely hr initiative of hey everybody be nicer to the secretaries kind of thing like i was you know we had we just had gary peterson on from on the show from uh oc tanner i know you've done tours down there and seen their work Um, right big big shingo fans also and um i feel like they live a principle that a lot of other maybe client organizations I've done consulting work for pay lip service to, but aren't able to implement. And um, he and I were talking about when I went on that trip with Shingo over to Japan and we got a two of these Honda facilities and Toyota facilities. And one of their suppliers that we went to, I feel like it was like shocking how well they had integrated this into the way that they did everything. It was like, I, I almost thought about the analogy of like an orchard. Like it seems like, um, they were interested in the fruit from every single tree, not just whatever tree produced the most amount of fruit, where so often um, in organizations where maybe ego plays a bigger part or it's just, you know, 
bad habits that have metastatized over metastasized <laughs> over decades, word. right? Um, where we end up saying, okay, who's the smartest one? We're only going to take fruit from that tree. All the rest of you are going to do what he says, what she says. And these guys have like, they, they have like operationalized. No, we're going to get everybody's thoughts. Even the new guy, even the new guy who has only been here two weeks, we're going to consider his thoughts just like the guy who's been here 30 years and it's going to get tested on its merit. And if it's a good idea, it'll stay. And if it's not a good idea, it's not going to make the cut. And there's so much more value when, when everybody who shows up to work, uh, when you harness all that brain power instead of just whoever the most productive tree was. Anyways. I completely agree. And, you know, everyone can add value. Everyone has an idea that's worth testing and listening to. And, you know, once that idea is implemented, it's three years old, it's, I mean, it's really a catalyst for more ideas and to the point to where, you know, it grows incrementally and, you know, they, they, they really are, are able to help you to achieve the results that you want uh, across the board. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and I think it's not just a feel good thing that direction either, right? Like if the new guy's idea sucks, it's going to last about 24 hours and then the test is going to come back and then <laughs> we're not going to go with it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the data drives, drives which one you're going to follow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, let's shift gears here for a second. We, uh, we always like to ask guests, um, you know, the charity we started child rescue out there trying to prevent child trafficking. Um, if you were in charge of getting more people involved or you had advice for us about how to get more people, uh, helping out with the issue of preventing child sex trafficking or, or helping the kids escape this kind of stuff. What, what advice would you have for us of attracting people to that cause? Um, advice for attracting people to that cause. I think that getting people from different scopes, different backgrounds, different environments will help you be able to raise the awareness. Cause as you're obviously aware, awareness is the biggest part of it. Um, and if, I mean, like I played football, getting football fans aware of it, um, getting people in the workplace aware of it. If you can get that out in many avenues, many outlets as possible, have as many people on board, as many advocates of the awareness, I believe that people will start to realize this is happening. It doesn't just happen, you know, um, to someone I have no idea about. Chances are, um, you know, someone who's been associated with it. And that makes it a little bit more personal, I think, um, whether that's a first connection or, a, you know, a secondary connection. And so really using as many avenues and outlets, having as many advocates as possible helps. And I also feel that social media, um, you know, the world is so interconnected now and the Internet's provided that. Using that as an outlet as well is something that is very beneficial. Sure. You know, you talk about football fans and I'm sure you and your friends get hit up for stuff all the time. Do you have any advice for nonprofits or somebody who's, they're trying to work with an influencer? You know, I'm thinking about, uh, do you have a roommate or, or a team member who's off playing for the Dolphins right now? I do. You yeah. know, when, when you think about these folks who have, you know, entered the national spotlight, um, do you have any advice? I think it seems like a lot of times they get hit up with the, somebody shows up and says, hey, you're famous. Can I tell you what you could do for me? Um, instead of actually getting to know them or actually seeing what they're interested in or stuff like this. Any advice for people who are, you know, approaching your former teammates and stuff like this? I think the, the biggest thing is trying to figure out why, like why, why am I approaching this person? And 
I more times than not, that person is going to realize the platform they are they're on. They're they're able to make an influence, or able they're able to make an impact. And if someone approaches them in a way that is not selfish, but really for the better of the community and for whatever cause it is that you're advocating for, that person is going to see why they're doing that, and they're gonna they're gonna hop on board. And more times than not, they're going to do everything they can to raise awareness for that specific charity or that specific organization so that other people can see that they're on board um, and want to change something that, that needs to be improved and really make the world a better place. And I feel that most people on those platforms, more, more times than not, are going to be on board. That's great. By the way, t- tell me his name. Who's playing for the Dolphins? Zach Vigil. That's right. And uh, he's another defensive guy, right? Yeah, no, he's a he's a linebacker. Yeah. Okay. He's a linebacker defense. That's great. Uh, well, uh, on the on the side of books, we're always asking people what what advice they have as far as reading. Um, any books that stand out to you that entrepreneurs or innovators you feel like could really benefit from? Absolutely. Um, there's a book called Institute of Excellence. This is something I read a lot as an athlete. And I really like that because it, it lays out a roadmap. Of, you know, you have this goal. Excellence is something we all chase for, something that we all want, perfection. Um, sometimes, you know, it's unattainable perfection, but getting as close as you can to it is possible. And you have that goal, but creating a roadmap to get there down to a daily goal is something that I find is it makes it feel like less of a, a huge mountain you have to climb in one day. And, you know, you know, you go this far in one day. And you get there and then you reassess and see where you're at. So that side of it and using the, the mental toughness and mental tools that help you to be able to go through the day-to-day task, that's a book that's helped me um, be able to, to get to where I'm at today. Is that uh, Terry? Who, who wrote that book? Terry it Orlick? Uh, yeah, Terry Orlick. Okay. Um, that's kind of a sports psychology um, person, I guess you, you could say. Um, and then uh, another one will be how will you – Measure Your Life. Uh, that's, <laughs> Clayton Christensen. That's one. I love that. How book. great is that book, right? It's a terrific book. I've, I've read it more than once. Um, that book is, I like that he, he looks at multiple people in different fields of industry, um, different pr- professions, including his own. And it really makes you ask the question of, you know, what makes me successful? And I think it helps you to realize that being a well-rounded person um, helps you to feel that success. And Honestly, a quote that I live by um, since just being out of high school and it applies to that book and, and everything I try to do is by Aristotle. And it might be a little cliche, but it's, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So I try to implement, implement that into my daily life. Every aspect of my life, I, I want to chase that excellence and that pursuit of excellence and try to become the most well-rounded person I can and be the best in everything that I do. You know, what I'm fascinated by that book, I mean, for everybody who doesn't know, Clayton Christensen, you know, famous Harvard professor, wrote The Innovator's Dilemma and, and that series. And, um, you know, I think for four years in a row, he held the Thinker's 50 title as the number one thinker in the world, stuff like this, right? And right. he writes that book that's like, he tells you this business principle of somebody who's really messing up their company by the way they've applied things. And he really gets your buy-in and you're like, yeah, that's so dumb. I would never want to do it that way, Right. And then he turns right. it around oh, yeah. and shows how so many ambitious people are doing that same thing at home. 
And it's like, it's too late to disagree with the principal. I've already bought into the principal. And I'm like, dang it. I'm messing this up as a dad. I'm messing this up as a husband. Ah, I got to, I, you know, know that my actions are not in line with my stated goals. Man, I probably got to rethink this. Right. And like, I remember him talking about building the, building the tree house or building the playhouse in the backyard with his kids and how, uh, it took a really long time <laughs> alternating who, whose turn it was to swing the hammer. And like every time his kids had their friends come over after it was done, though, the first thing they said is like, oh, come see this treehouse, come build, come see this playhouse. And but he, he realized like they really didn't play with it that much. They were super proud of it and wanted to show their friends. Um, but that there was this huge value in the time that was spent together working on it. And he's like, I cringe thinking about the fact I almost bought a snap together kit I could have built myself <laughs> and like the loss of that memory and that experience with his kids. And I think all the time, man, oh, I want to build another skateboard mini ramp in my garage and it'd go a lot faster if I didn't have my kids help. <laughs> but then I'm exactly. like, I'm hearing Clayton Christensen in my head and I'm going through these principles anyways. So no, no, that's, that, that's so true. He kind of he throws a curveball in a book and by that time you're already super invested in it. You're like, Oh wow. I need to reevaluate. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I know, I know we're probably about out of time here and, uh, I wish we had more time to talk about how you've taken these same, same principles to Medline and, and you guys, you know, getting ready for this move to a million square foot building and, and, uh, you know, the, the respect for every person that you really, uh, have implemented there. Um, but, uh, we really appreciate the time you've made for us today and, and coming on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and enjoyed the time with that. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.